Let's thank, uh, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your mercies. We're grateful for the word before us. We're especially grateful for you coming to earth, becoming flesh, and dying for our sins. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, you know, as you're saying to yourself, it's Christmas time, it's two days before Christmas, it's got to be kind of Christ- uh, spiritual, the sermon's got to reflect the season. Uh, you notice down at the bottom, I put in very Christmassy colors, Merry Christmas. You see, no, no, did you note that? And then up at the top, Isaiah 53, you say, look at that typeface. That's spiritual. That looks like a Bible from the old-timey days. And you say, what is that font, Evan? It's Frankenstein is the name of the font, which kind of spoils some of your um, uh, false spiritualizing. Um, It's one of those things, it's almost hard to think of Christ in the holidays. And you know you do. As you set up your nativity scene or reading Bible stories to your kids or grandkids or whatever it is, And in the moment of the Lord's incarnation, which we've all been through those stories, you've seen the Peanuts characters do it, you've seen your, your own kids' school do a performance of, um, I nearly lost a friendship by being picked to play Joseph when my best friend was really interested in the girl that had been picked to play Mary. It almost destroyed the friendship. We have a variety of experiences with the story of the Incarnation, and sometimes we lose the ability, just keeping our minds on track, we lose the ability to keep our minds responsive. And I was looking at Isaiah 53, as you've read through it a little bit, you can see that it's one of those strongly messianic portions of Isaiah. Isaiah is writing this in the 700s B.C., and uh, it's one of those remarkable things in the scripture where Isaiah is shoveling boatloads of things you recognize in the coming of the Christ. One of the claims of Christianity that is unusual for the uh, believing uh, is that we have verifiable pre-existent copies of Isaiah before Christ, before the fulfillments of the prophecies. Not that they weren't the original, but they were still before Christ. No other religion has prophecies before its key figure telling you about the key figure that's going to come. I think there is a prophecy of Muhammad coming, uh, written conveniently in the 800s, but he was in the 600s. So we like looking at these things, especially you go through the Handel's Messiah, you get a lot of Isaiah sung. And, uh, but I wanted us to look not at that sort of heavy weight that our holiday or our desire to wear red, and I nearly wore my red vest this morning, but I had worn it last night. We, we like a lot of red out there, thank you. But, and you say, well, there's red type on the page. I do that every Sunday. It's hard to get past what is said. You will recognize who has believed what we have heard. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Now I want to remind you of something from last week. Last week we were in Matthew 11. I have a key verse here over on the side. At that time Jesus declared, I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to babes. Skipping a little bit ahead. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. We've got this task of getting at truth. Remember, you've heard me say before, the truth is under no obligation, zero obligation to convince you. You are under every obligation to be convinced by it. You will be judged for failing to be convinced by truth. Truth could go to its eternal reward and not have paid any attention to you at all. It doesn't have to. You should be seeking truth. And you should be concerned that the pattern of man in all of this, prophetically, actually, remember when he came, they ignored him. They didn't see him. They didn't want him. We have to wonder if we are those to whom the Son will choose to reveal us. Now, those of you who are of more reformed persuasion, that's you know, part of a tidy part of your theological outlook. Uh, those of you who are not from that persuasion, you still have to think in terms of the Lord's opinion of you. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Because when he is revealed, one of the things about the revelation of, the, of God himself, God incarnate in Christ, is how, how it missed every, every signal that we would think if the Lord had gone to a marketing firm first and said, we're going to roll out this thing called Jesus Christ. We'd like to have the biggest response possible. Maybe some you know, Facebook short films. A lot of viral things that you click on out of interest. Um, let's roll it out, I don't know, New York. You know, not potlatch, but New York. We think well, all the right things would need to be done. And the Lord did exactly. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or comeliness, that means desirability, that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Okay. So instead of that hunky, you know, I think uh, Hook's Head of Christ, or some of the movie depictions, you know, out of, you know, Jim Caviezel does a nice Jesus of the traditional variety. But Jim Caviezel, frankly, is a, he's a stud muffin. He's really good looking. You liked him. What did he play? Count of Monte Cristo or something like that? Women find their heart. Oh, yes, I want, I want to become a Christian. That's what Jesus is like. You bet. Think Woody Allen. If you want a Jew, think Woody Allen. Short, difficult, whiny. Or someone just less pleasant to look upon. And it, it, the Lord did, basically said, okay, tell me everything you think we should do. We're not going to do that. We are not going to appeal to you. At least in terms of the things that you find pr 
prominently appealing. He was despised and rejected by men. Whatever, whoever was writing the copy for his rollout wasn't doing a good job. Or he was doing exactly the job that Lord had asked him to do. It was that, that passage in Matthew uh, right after it, that portion I didn't type it in, revealed it to babes and it's uh, he says for such was thy gracious will. Revealed it to babes, for such was thy gracious will. God wanted it this way. The all-knowing, the transcendent, the holy, wanted to present Jesus Christ where he presented him, small town Palestine, small province at the edge of empire, with a bunch of very difficult religious people standing around, and he wasn't a character designed to be liked, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. You ever seen that sort of situation? Where you've seen somebody so, so beat up? I was watching a, a YouTube video. Do you know the magician David Blaine? He does a lot more than just, well, it's kind of a magic trick, but also a kind of a human endurance trick. He uh, got a thread and needle, it was on Jimmy Kimmel, and then he sewed his mouth shut. On camera, no questions asked, had Jimmy Kimmel pulled the needle through, sewed his mouth shut which is disturbing. And the other people on the show, I think uh, there was a, a rap artist there, and he had to run out of the studio because he was so... We, we face things that are so disturbing. Then he, of course, did a magic trick with his mouth sewn shut in which a card that was picked out of the deck ended up inside his mouth with his mouth sewn shut. I don't know. It's demons. But the weirdness is the, the people are, are, are not knowing what to do with themselves. They're lying on the floor. Anything to turn away. Have you seen someone with a skin rash that does that to you? Ah! I don't, a leprosy. As one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Oh, it probably comes down to it. It doesn't say... Well, he was not designed to be desired. But then it tells us prophetically, we esteemed him not. We would really like to go back, and we think that we have been handed the chit from the kingdom of heaven. So, okay, all right, God will take it from here. You obviously didn't know what you were doing when you rolled this incarnation of yourself out. Um... This is really unintelligible. Uh, we need to design this, write this for the common man today and put it in terms that they understand with their interests. And you get those kind of Bibles. Uh, it started to happen back in the 70s. I worked in a Christian bookstore and Bibles started coming out with special titles. You know, the Serendipity Bible. 
You wanted to find somebody and hit them. Whoever that was, at Zondervan, who was putting out the serendipity NIV version. I think most of us think the NIV is already serendipity. But they, they got various Bibles, young people's Bibles, young career people Bibles, decision makers Bibles, cancer people Bibles. Everybody's got Bibles. Because we think we're in the business of making everyone understand. And God said, I came into the world so that I would be misunderstood. That was God's, such was the God Father's gracious will. That the wise and understanding wouldn't catch it. You caught it. You believed. You heard the gospel. You believed. Most of the world doesn't. And there's nothing you can do about it. In fact, when we try to do something about it, we start to design a Christ that you think people will be excited to believe in. This is kind of a crisis about who we found in him. Because the Lord brought him to undergo the least... Um, he's, he's glorifying his son. There's not, not a question about that. And Jesus Christ is very, we all know, attractive to us as believers. But we don't want to shift the ground of the attraction... You know, there are, from what I hear, from what I understand, there are attractive women out there. But it says, like a gold ring in a pig's snout, so is a beautiful woman without discretion. You know, all the guys know, that you meet some woman who is, to all external measurements, fine. Then you speak for five minutes with her, and you go, what an ugly individual. And people that are not so fine in all the measurements, but because their face lights up, their joy is in the, in the Lord, they, they're interesting people, they're far more attractive. But we know the difference between that which, when you have a sensible, wise measurement of attraction, you will be attracted to the right kind of person. But once you say, we've got to make every woman fine, and we've got to make our Christ desirable, so that he is a Christ of earthly power. We want to make him, you know, we want to sell his masculinity. We want to sell his good looks. We want to sell his um, kindnesses in a way that comes across like a Hallmark romantic movie. You've got friends that post that stuff on Facebook, right? that want to make this all a thrill to various categories of our earthly desires. And the Lord came here to play off our earthly desires, so disappoint them that we would kill him. So not play by that rules. I have this John 1 on the side here, left hand side. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. Echoing what it says in Isaiah. I have failed at business, 
Some of not you, you have known me long enough to remember those. Perhaps you and your wife sit at home chuckling at my failures. Things you just don't plan on, you for sure, I just know. Well, remember, Larry Lucas and I came out with that, uh, back in the cigar boom hit, we came out with this poster, 18 by 24, nicely done, beautiful color. It's Rudyard Kipling's poem on cigars, called The Betrothed, in which a man chooses between his fiance and cigars. The fiance, suffice it to say, does not win. A woman is only a woman, but a good cigar is a smoke. Great line. And we said, Larry and I, because we both like cigars, and there was a cigar boom going on, and there were cigar shops open up all over the world. We said, we're going to print this poster up, make it in tubes, we're going to bail it out. It didn't, uh, it didn't work. I saw thousands in my basement, if you want one. Now, the problem, the problem was um, that phrase, which I can chuckle to, a woman is only a woman, but a good cigar is a smoke. If Maggie will have no rival, I'll have no Maggie for spouse. That's a great, it's a great, great poem. Uh, uh, from what I understand, maybe even some here present right now, are, women are going, you bastard. You are just an awful human being. You wanted to sell this? You wanted men to bring home this poster, 18 by 24, in color, and say, honey, can we get a frame for this? So it can go up in the kitchen? We, we found out that the world was half women. Every man wanted to smoke, but he was gonna smoke in his garage. When you do something like that, when you fail, you say, whoa, I need to correct my business sense. I should have gotten a focus group. Somebody who would have said, have you ever thought that the women might not like this? But God thought this, such was his gracious will. Such was his approach to the world that he would reveal himself in such a way that most of us would despise him reject him. The most religious of us, the most wise and understanding among us would reject him because he wasn't playing the game the way we wanted it to be played. He was coming. Verse 4, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, we yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was here doing something because it was the doing of it, not the impression and the sales pitch of it. He was trying to die for your sins, and you were just like, oh, it looks like God's got it in for him. We esteemed him stricken. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole, and with his stripes we are healed. You all know these passages. What he was doing had nothing to do with whether or not you had some desire to buy this product. You could think all you want of Christ, you know, oh, who was it? Various people through the ages have thought, you know, Christ was obviously a failure. You know, just think if he hadn't have died, 
what success his ethical theories would have arrived at. You know, uh, you're an idiot. He came to die. No, how can you? How, how can you think that? Dying is not the big idea here, is it? Yes, it is, because he's dying for your sins. He's paying a price for sin, that sin would be covered by an infinite death. God himself, who could not be tempted or steps into temptation, stands faithfully in it, goes to his death, could not be killed as God, and he becomes man that he may die. Sympathize with you? Empathize with you? He was doing it whether you understood it or not. He did it whether or not anyone, most everyone in the world, did not esteem him. Most everyone in the world did not esteem him then or now. His own people received him not. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. This is, we esteemed him not. Our iniquities... We like sheep have gone astray. It's not they have like sheep have gone astray. We like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. I put that in red. It didn't come down to the computer that way. It said I wanted to all of us to be honest about what the Lord was doing, honest of how the sales pitch was going down. It was not a sales pitch, it was an act in history. It would, God would be God and God would be loving if he had died for all men and no man had repented. God would have done the good thing and would have done the right thing. And that would stand to his glory and it doesn't matter how many bought it. When, the, when Jesus Christ says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? We don't, we got no assurances. We know this as narrow is the way that leads to life. And those that find it are few. He dies for everyone. He dies for sin in the world. He purchases the debt we have with God with his death. And we are making a separate decision. It's not some sort of communication that Christ only wins if you respond correctly. Christ won because of what he did. He laid, what does it say in... The epistles of something, Colossians. Where's Colossians? Is this a Bible? Wouldn't that be funny if it was the hymn book and I was frantically looking through? Um, and you who are dead in trespasses... And the uncircumcision of your faith, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, having canceled the bond which stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in him. Jesus Christ was busy doing the right thing, not selling you with a nice billboard with a really cute girl with a girl next door sort of quality holding up a can of Jesus Christ and wanting you to buy it. Doesn't matter if you buy it. It's true. He conquers. He defeated the principalities and powers making public example of them in him. And meanwhile we're running around waiting for the cool sales pitch to get us on board with a neat religion falling for just every stupid, you know smart people during Scientology? 
smart people become other, you know, some smart people become Christians if it's sold to them well enough. We've everyone turned to us, uh, turned to, let's try to read this clearly. We have turned everyone to his own way. And you'd like your religion to be part of that, thank you very much. You'd like to have, you know, sometime soon there's going to be a hip Jesus. Back when we were long hairs, we were very pleased with the, you know, traditional Jesus, you know. Well, he's kind of, you know, already a hippie. But now it's really not, you know, you kind of want to see Jesus with the, you know, top knot or a little knit cap that is not fully snug on the head, hanging off the back. Because that's really, I think it's aerodynamic. I think there's a, a quality to it. The Jesus. We'd like to have him our own way. I mean, it's not just the hip, it's the not hip. You know, I'm 64. And uh, my generation might expect Jesus, you know, boy, Jesus is, was really a more mature and adulting sort of God. We're trying to recommend our life through Jesus Christ, not accepting the life Jesus Christ has given to us. What's your own way? Do you want Jesus to speak to it? Be there for you. Talk in your terms. The Lord's busy doing something else. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of this behavior is misbehavior. All this behavior, the Lord's looking and going, yeah, I've got to do something about that, and it's not adapt myself to it. I'm going to die because you're such an idiot. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He was put, he has put him to grief when he makes himself an offering for sin. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the fruit of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Do you notice that he's saying, if you realize this is what happened to him in the world, he came without the good PR. He didn't speak it our way. He did what he had to do. There are going to be some, the few, that see, hear, and believe. Most of the world knew him not. Most of the world received him not. But those are, there's, there's a victory. The way God does it isn't, I'm going to make this impossible for anyone to believe. He doesn't decide to do that. He doesn't say, I'm going to make him such a, so abhorrent that he's like the, the alien in the movie Alien. You know. Oh yeah, this is God incarnate, but he's got that second mouth that comes out and eats people. Well, I'm not going to follow that God, thank you. 
He does this good and benevolent thing of dying for your sins. Dying for your sins. Your own way that you followed. That you'd like it if he'd show up and play this game your way. But no, he didn't. He did the right thing. And even in that, there is victory and success. Even though the Lord bruised him, even though he made himself an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall see the fruit of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And by this special position that Christ took, this counterintuitive, non-satisfying religious effort on God's part, by the knowledge he had of what he was doing, many shall be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. You're those people. You're those people that were accounted righteous because you followed in the gospel his knowledge. The gospel is the preaching of that message that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. That's what and he wasn't here to make himself appealing to you. He was dying to save sinners. And when his knowledge comes home to you, as it is, the travail of his soul has a fruit. <coughs> if you're not, if you just wanted to join the club because you like these people, or these people are kind of cool, or the food's good at the church buffet on, on Christmas... All sorts of reasons people go to church. I'm assuming that since you're in a unorganized uh, small church, that you came here because you you wanted the kind of Christianity we're trying to represent, representing the gospel. There's no other way but this message. But it shall be for your iniquities. It shall be accounting you righteous because this knowledge of Christ the fruit of his travail is lived out in you. Verse 12. Therefore, <clears throat> I will divide him a portion with the great. Jesus Christ, no most of the world does not believe in him. But still, Jesus Christ is the most famous, greatest, not because I'm a pastor, I just generally feel about the Bible's the most published book, translated book, bestseller in history, and people still don't believe it. But he's the greatest man who ever lived. I was watching Jordan Peterson, some of you are fans of Jordan Peterson, not a believer, talking with a Muslim who had some hard questions for him. <clears throat> And Jordan Peterson was doing an honest job of saying, look, I don't know, I hope you'd help, help me with this question. He said, but one of the couple things I've noticed about Islam and Christianity. He said, uh, Muhammad was a warlord. That's what he was up to. And say what you like about Jesus Christ, no one has ever suggested that he was a warlord. Everyone knows who Jesus Christ and they might not know the stories or the details or the verses or anything like that, but they, they know that everyone likes to claim him. Everyone likes to buy into him, conservatives, liberals. You should know this about him. Isaiah is saying, 
Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. <coughs> he shall divide the spoil with the strong. In your mind, he's done something amazing. Something amazing that doesn't go the way the world goes, doesn't work the way the world works, does not appeal to you the way you want it to be appealed to. Your soul was reached by someone who went ahead and died for you without your knowledge, without you existing. And you are the fruit of that. You are the righteousness of that. Your iniquities are born because of that. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin in many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, think of him in these heightened terms. Think of him as the great because him not being great by any measure that you would put to it. You kind of not want to picture a story to appear in Life magazine about Jesus because you eh, might not look good in the photos. You ever run across a person you really like, you've never seen a photo of them, and yeah, hey, I, I, I was hoping for better. I thought that C.S. Lewis would be slimmer. <laughs> Doesn't look like the voice that you imagined and put into. You wouldn't want that for Jesus. Because we're not wanting that. We're not wanting him to lead a movement. Do you ever know he ever told you to lead a movement? What do we have to do to lead a movement? You've got to make your figure interesting to everybody. You've got to get Jesus going viral. I think that's what young people say these days. Viral. You want to sell him. He won't be. He wants you to go, I think he's great. I think he's one of the strong. Because he didn't do it this way. He was rewarded for his efforts that were counterintuitive to everything. He was dying. What are you looking at? Some sort of image that you've been, the culture has created, your Bible story books, the movies, whatever it is. Is it the grace? Is it the truth? Is it the glory? What is, it, what is the story that is grace to you? What is the story that is truth to you? What is the story that is glory to you? Because you're being asked, in order for you to be one of those ones to whom God has revealed himself to, who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? Or to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him? You have to ask, am I ready to accept this grace, this truth, this glory? Because the rest of the world knew him not. The rest of the world received him not. Verse right there on the left-hand side in John 1, 12, it's the next verse. But to all who received him, who believed in his name. Remember, when you receive him, you receive him as he is, as he's done it. His story, not your rewrite of his story. Who believed in his name, 
He gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Do you glory in who he is, what he did, why he did it, regardless? Are you one of those who would be happy to be a Christian if you were the only one on the planet? That you knew no other Christians. I don't know a lot of Christians think it's almost a license to do evil. I didn't have any Christians. I didn't have any fellowship. You had a God. You had a Holy Spirit. You had the pursuit of him. Have you beheld his glory? Maybe because we rewrote Christianity to appeal to us, we're counting on each other to maintain that story. And so when the rest of us are not around, the story is hard to, the narrative is hard to keep alive. But when God is writing the story that you've accepted, God is speaking it to you. You receive what he said. Believing faith is not believing in God, but believing God. Who believed in his name, he gave you the power to become children of God. This is kind of the, this is John 1, so John 3, when he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. This is what he's talking about. It's all the hoorah of people talking about born againness. Admit who Jesus is. Admit what the incarnation, Christmas, is about. God is about doing something. And uh, you're about whether or not it's going to appeal to you and take care of your iniquities with no adjustments to its sales pitch. He's borne the sins of many. Give him in you something to rejoice about, that his bearing your sins and his accounting you righteous uh, is valuable. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. You've been good to us down through the centuries. We'd ask that we would continue to hold your actions, your ways, your greatness up, your glory up, not trying to tool you to meet the demands of the world. Bring the world to their knees. Those that follow want to follow you, that they would find you, and we'd be great testifiers to the good of that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.